Here we go, here we go. Happy transfiguration. All right, here we go, here we go. Christ our God, who was transfigured upon the mountain and manifested your glory to your disciples and to us as we are able to bear it, shed forth your everlasting light on your servants that we behold your glory and enter into your sufferings and proclaim you to the world, you who are light in the darkness, you yourself who are light and life of men. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, good to see you. A couple of things. Give your blood away. Saturday, March 16th at 8 a.m. You're not, you're not using all the blood you've got. You've got a pint or two to spare. I remember from science class. So the Latmans can help you. Also, Emily Stellwagen knows what to do with you if you show up. Uh, it's, uh, it's a Saturday, the 16th, coming up. So you can sign up. Emily, I think, is down there today. She'll be really, really nice to you. What else? Give some money away to pads. That's where we'll go, right, Betsy? If you, give, if you put money in there, uh, we will we'll give money to pads. It's been unusually cold. As you know, the average temperature for this day in a real world is 40 degrees. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we're having a little, 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 uh, little struggle getting warmer. What else? Anything else we need to do, think about? Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, so come along. Um, there'll be ashes in the morning at 740 and ashes in the evening. And then the normal Advent stuff with dinners and uh, Taze throughout. So have a go at that. Questions about anything? Okay, I got two things to do for you. One is we do. I do want to talk just a few minutes about fasting, or maybe more than a few minutes. Not, I don't want to spend the whole time on it, but we need to bring it to mind because it's not in us normally. Your first notice was driving past St. Mike's this morning when they said fish fry six thirty. On uh, you're suddenly like, whoa, wait, it must be Lent, right? So, uh, but you might want to think of just a little bit ahead. I went back and just pulled out. I was thinking about rewriting something. I thought I won't rewrite it, but I won't go through the whole thing. I pulled out something from 14. I think 13 was the first year that we actually talked about fasting together and as a group. By now, I hope any inhibitions you have are worn away. And frankly, I'll be a little bit uh, pushier with you today than I have been in the past. This is just a thing that Christians do. Christians fast. They've always fasted. Right? Everybody has always fasted all through the scriptures. And Jesus himself says, you know, sometimes the troubles you've got, you can only get rid of them by prayer and fasting. So this is just kind of normal stuff. And if you thought that it wasn't a Lutheran thing, I give you the apology to the Augsburg Confession just at the bottom. We believe that God's glory and command require penitence to produce good fruits. And that good fruits like true fasting, prayer, and charity have his command. So there you are. Fast, pray, um, give alms. Uh, that's just that's always sort of been in us, and that's the way that we live as God's children. Everybody knows um, that we have some things that need to be pulled out of us. That's done by way of the law that accuses us, and we confess that, and we uh, try to do better, not by our own strength, but by the gifts that are given us. So I want to urge you toward fasting. Uh, this Lent, if I can. Actually, in the past, too, I've, I've sort of, I haven't really said, I've sort of left it to you as an individual matter, but if you read a bit in Scripture, you know that there were regular fasts as a community, and so Israel and the high days and all of that. 
If you need, uh, if you want to push just a little bit, you might, <clears throat> uh, you might find a friend or a couple of friends with whom you share your fast kind of quietly and encourage each other as you go through. Someday this may look like fasting as a community, but it's difficult because you don't want to impose on people and you don't want to put them under a new law. As Jesus said, sometimes we bind up burdens that are hard to bear. On the other hand, there's great encouragement about, uh, or great encouragement in being part of a community who are all pulling in the same way. I remember there was a young man from, I think it was uh, Miramar when I was at Princeton. The entire church body in that country had prayed and fasted until they settled on him as the one that they would send on to do study. Right, so there are these things where you say, well, together, you know, we pray and fast and toward this thing. It's not unknown, of course. And that might be a thing that we would want to give a go to in the years ahead. That would be a thing that might be good for us. And uh, the Lord surprises you. You never quite know what he's going to do when you just do what he says. So um, just give it a little bit of thought. I'm spinning here uh, kind of ahead all the way to number five now. Um, So you remember that fasting is not our idea. It's something that engages us, and it's our response to a sacred moment. So God does something sacred. This can be a painful thing, or it can be a joyful thing, but uh, God does uh, this wonderful thing. And in response to that, you know, fasting. Now... It often goes with prayer or requests. God may honor your response to his action, or he may have a different idea. One of the marks of being a mature Christian is to have what Jesus gives. So I've often said to you, you know, to receive everything as a gift and blessing. And the full stretch of that is to receive your own death as a gift and a blessing. It's almost impossible for us to to do that, and yet... Uh, that's what we pray for when we say that when we pray for folks to have a blessed death. So we pray that um, the Lord would respond sometimes as we respond, but he'll give us what's good for us, and we sort of carry on with that. Now I'm at six, and I'm going to turn the page. You know, why should you fast? <clears throat> Here are some things that you might not think. Um, fasting helps us see things from God's point of view. So God is at work, God is doing something, God is asking something. And a lot of times we're so busy that we don't really take sense of that. But there is a way of fasting and praying, reading scripture and meditating and coming to church. All of these things which disrupt our normal rhythm of life. And that, of course, is the point of this. Uh, Fasting is abnormal. You're restrained from something, or you give something up, or your days are different, right? So this then opens us to what God might be up to. Not not in the way that, you know, sort of, you'll, the, you know, the heavens will open and you suddenly get new knowledge. It could happen. But also just in a normal way that you begin to think about things that maybe you don't have time to think about normally. So one reason to fast which disrupts your normal rhythm or changes your normal rhythm. Say you, um, 
you know, skip a meal and spend the hour praying, for example, uh, suddenly you see things differently. You see things the way God sees things. Um, another one is that simply that it hurts. You know, one of my favorite lines from way back, wisdom isn't cheap and we pay for it with pain. Pain teaches you things um, that you just can't learn any other way. And when things are painful, you do in fact grow, even though it often feels like it's going to kill you. So we see things from God's point of view. We see life in a new and perhaps more mature way. And we also keep the rhythm, which is we do what God asks us to do. So God, for instance, instance, declares a day of atonement. And so we all atone together. We keep the rhythm that God has established or the church has established. We're not very good at being our own bosses, even though everything about us is devoted to being our own bosses. You always have an authority. It may be yourself or it may be someone else. Of course, the church's riff is that it's best for you to have the Lord himself as your authority. And then below that, the church for your good and pastors and then people around you, wise um, folks, men and women who can help you. You know, over the course of two or 4,000 years, the church has learned that fasting is good for you. So you might just uh, honor the notion that somebody else may know better than you. Give it a try. See what would happen. You know, the liturgy is a bit like this, too. The liturgy is what the church has discovered from all around the world from two or 4,000 years as the great way to care for you. You know what you need this morning? You need to remember that you're baptized. You need to confess your sins. You need to be forgiven, and you need to live in that forgiveness as God's child by listening to God, by uh, going to the altar for his body and blood, and leaving with his benediction so that you can go back into the world and live as God wants you to live. Fasting sort of uh, intensifies this process, right? Because you're living in a rhythm where you're not your own. So I'll just, um, you know, I'll just sort of give you that and give it a try. Now, I gave you a long list of the difference between fasting and abstaining. You know, these are kind of technical definitions. You can sort it out whether you give, um, you abstain from something, which means you might give something up for 40 days, or a fast where you might take part of a day or part of every day where you don't eat or don't eat and don't drink. Um, it's very rare that you'd have a 24-hour fast. That happens only you know, with sackcloth and ashes. So part of what I want to say to you is try not to go too hard. You keep something minimal in the spirit of the gospel that I'm sure will be appointed for Ash Wednesday that says when you fast, you know, wash your face and move about your day as if things are normal. You don't, you don't make a thing of it. Uh, people ra- barely, barely, barely notice or wouldn't notice at all. And, of course, you remember, I just gave you this thing. If anyone under pretense of asceticism shall fast on a Sunday, let him be anathema, uh, fourth century. Every Sunday is a celebration. Every Sunday is a resurrection. This is why, technically, there are 47 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter, but we don't count the Sundays because you can't fast on a Sunday. So just kind of observe this in your head. Sunday is your free day. Sunday is the day where you couldn't possibly fast, the Lord is resurrected. I mean, Jesus himself says, you know, can you fast while the bridegroom's here with you? No, every day, every Sunday is a feast. So you kind of factor that in as you go. 
All right. Uh, let's see. The rest of this I think you know quite a lot about, but I've sort of, I printed so much so you could take it and read it yourself. Um, I sort of gave you under eight and nine a definition of sacred moments and some of those from scripture. And then at point, go all the way to 12, how you might get started. So this is a very sort of basic stuff, okay? Make it manageable. Uh, don't try to do too much. It's better for you to, if you've, if, you've, if you've never fasted before for any length of time, just pick something that you can do. Uh, you can pick an abstinence. You know, the classic ones are to give up meat on Fridays, for example, or not to, so that would be an, an abstinence rather than a fast. Or a classic fast would be, you know, you don't eat before noon, or maybe you give some period of, the, of one particular day that you, maybe one day, um, you, you can kind of think this through. Pick something that you can do. Think about your work. Think about your responsibilities to your family and your kids. Think about all the other things that are going on in your life. Um, and try to do something that is disruptive enough to make you remember what's going on, but not so much that you'll fail at it or say, I just can't possibly do that. So do something that's manageable uh, and ease into it and ease out of it. So if you give up something, you know, if you, if you give up something, you better give up something small and keep the fast than try to do something too big and fail. And the other thing is when you come out of the fast, you know, don't supersize it. Just kind of take your time because your, your body and your life will be different. And, uh, of course, my small letter attorney, I'm not an MD. I went to pastor school, not medical school. So I'm not telling you what to do. Of course, if you have... Uh, medicine that you take, or if you are, you know, are in a period where you're sick, or if you have particular health concerns and all that, yeah, I mean, factor all of that in. Be wise about this. The point of this is not to destroy you. The point of this is to get your focus, right? We move through life, and we don't focus very well on what's most important. This is difficult for us. These are 40 days, and we all say we're all going to focus together. We may do it in different ways, but we're all going to focus together. What? On our sinfulness and repent? and on the good gift of God in the flesh and blood of Jesus, given for us as an atonement, and washed up by his blood, we live forever. That's where we're going. Now, um, sometimes, and especially Lutherans, you know, this not you really, but, you know, kind of the old Lutheran protest of, you know, that's so Catholic, or think of all the things that go wrong. Yeah, anything can go wrong, okay? Because somebody somewhere got it wrong doesn't mean that everybody everywhere shouldn't benefit by it. So I give you all the things that can go wrong under 13, and I'm sure you could do more. Uh, everything from my fast is better than yours to I'm such a horrible person because I can't do it. Yeah, okay, if you come Sunday, we'll forgive that. So, you know, you can, there are all these things that can, can go wrong, but that's not a reason for you. You don't do that in any other part of your life. You don't say somebody else is a bad driver, so I don't drive. Somebody published a bad book, so I don't read. You don't, you don't do that. In any, don't do it in this part of your life either. Rejoice in the gifts that you've been given and, um, you know, sort of keep going. And then under 14, I sort of say, kind of remember, if everything went right, what could possibly happen to you? Let's say this. Let's say you choose to fast or you increase your fast and you actually keep the fast. You'll actually learn quite about, a lot about yourself and you have the possibility to stretch a bit as a Christian. Right? So you remember that um, the Lord has given you these gifts. 
you develop this devotional rhythm, this is all under number 14, that the church is always honored, right? And then the more stretchy ones, and we spend a lot of time going through this, but, you know, the notion of justice, uh, which is a, a you know, hot topic, of course, in America right now and kind of everywhere. But justice was one of the reasons that, um, and injustice was a reason that people fasted in Israel when they didn't follow what the Lord had said, and so some people were disadvantaged. There was a reason to repent of that and to fast. Or um, just the notion of, I've got sins that need to be confessed. I've got sins that bother me, and they need to be uh, dropped away. Or just the notion of discipline. You know, I don't know if you're disciplined or not, but some people, uh, I had a friend who was a big guy, and he was a great big guy, and he, uh, he, he said, you know, looking at me, you would think the thing that would be uh, difficult for me would be to give up food. He said, I could, I could go a week without eating, and it wouldn't bother me a bit. But he said, if you ask me to pray, I'm horrible. I can't pay attention for 10 seconds, right? But just the discipline, if it's only 10 seconds, maybe you can get to 20 by the time that we get to Easter. So I give you all of those things as a way to give yourself a new way to look at your life as you go through Lent. And if you've never done it before, I, you know, I'm going to just push just a little bit harder than I have in the past. Part of the reason I'm doing this is you've got till Wednesday to figure something out. My advice to you would be to figure something out, Right? Even if it's you're going to come to Tizay every Wednesday. Even if it's you're going to stop hating your brother-in-law, right? Even if it's going to, you're going to pray for pick somebody. You can pick me. You, need, you, got, you can't find anybody. Pick me. I could use all the help I can get, right? You know, even if you're going to make your husband take you to the fish fry on Friday at St. Mike's, you know? Just kind of think it through. But I kind of urge you, and maybe in a year or two or three, it would be sort of interesting if we talked among ourselves. It would be very interesting as a group, to, even if we just did it, maybe not as a whole church, because it would be kind of, if you, people haven't heard this, they're going to be like, what are they cooked up now? But it would be very interesting as maybe as a Bible study if we all collectively, we'd start early and collectively came to an idea that we would fast in a particular way toward a particular thing. That would be an interesting exercise, and don't hear me saying it as, and then we'd get something really good out of it. No, what we'd get good out of it would be the discipline that would be, we'd be all be doing the same thing and praying for the same thing at the same time for a good long period of time. That changes the world. Your prayers change the world. And none of this, I'm going to go back to the very first thing I said, none of this is transactional. It's just like your prayers. It's not transactional. You want something from God, so now you're going to you know, do something so God loves you more and gives you what you... This is completely relational, like everything else. It's more like this. God has these genius gifts for you, and he actually says to you, you're struggling with that? You know, some prayer and fasting, that'll come right out. You spilled wine? Red wine? Yeah. Anybody got soda? We got soda. All we need is club soda. This will work out. And then, of course, what do you do? You put it under hot water, and then people go... The Lord loves you enough that he shows you the way through, and if you follow the way through, you haven't done anything that's earned any kind of salvation or goodwill. You've just done what you're told. And of course, um, already I'm thinking about my sermon for Thursday morning Eucharist. The one thing that Jesus, if you had to say one thing that Jesus was really interested in, it would be obedience to his Father. You could sum up 
the life and ministry of Jesus is obedience, which again, sometimes Lutherans hear that as a horrible word. It is the most, one of the most delightful words in the scripture. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Which is to say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't obey? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not use the gifts I give? On the other hand, given it'll be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaking, running over into your lap, right? Or, you know, when you struggle with this kind of thing, it'll come right out with prayer and fasting. So everything can be heard a law way. Push it away, ignore it, you know, put it on a shelf, leave it far away, or it could be heard as a gospel way. I'll have more of this, please. So I think you're at the point, we've talked about this for so many years now, and you're different kind of people. It just think about the good that this would do for you. So try to spend in the next, you know, you've got 72 hours-ish. Try to think about, it's very easy to do this. You can think about, so there's two things, two parts to it. You find something that you're um, greatly uh, sad about. It can be everything from apparently the abortion bill that was in New York is going to be now introduced in Illinois. There's some for you to pray for. I mean, uh, as a friend of mine says, you know, when America goes down, abortion will be the single reason you won't need another reason. When America is no more, that's all the reason that you'll need. Don't look around for more. Right? So if you need a target, pray against that. Or pick somebody in here and pray for them. Figure that out. And then disrupt your schedule enough by some fasting, by food, by giving something up, drink, you know, by something, time, um, so that you have this pocket of time where your attention gets focused um, at particular intervals during the 40 days, okay? Anyway, I just encourage you to do it. You'll be different for it. You may not notice that you're different, but other people will. Jesus will. Questions about any of that? I know it's a lot to print for you. I just wanted to get it out in front of you. We all need Sort of, I mean, I can't remember what I said four years ago, so you know, I don't expect that you will either, right? All good? Questions about anything? All right, then, if that's all done, let's go, uh, let's go a bit to praying the names, okay? So I got a couple of names from you. I'm not going to get through all this, even if I hadn't done the fasting thing. I'm not going to get through this. So what I'm going to do is give you the broad kind of a broad flash of the names, or what the name means, what it means to have a name. And then next week, I'll do a couple of names. You, so if you still have a particular name that you're interested in, you can certainly uh, you know, send me an email this week. But uh, I start with these two things. You know, James, and this is, if you go read James 4, it's a bit of a stern chapter. So I did take something out of context here, but it is in context. James is a little bit, he's, um, he's roughing him up just a little bit, but then you know, sometimes we all need to be roughed up a little bit. Ye have not because ye ask not, James 4.2. Hey, you know why you don't have things? You don't ask for them. Jesus says, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, not going to be open, that's where we started. And James like, Jesus said to you, ask and you don't ask. What's up with that, right? He wants to do good for you. I mean, how many of our, my problems, how many of our troubles are because we don't? We just don't ask for what the Lord wants to give us. We don't access it. You remember the Three Stooges thing, the water, poking it with the broom. And then this, whatever you ask in my name, it's kind of this technical thing, in my name, this I will do, that the Father is glorified in the Son. 
And then he says it again. Hey, if you ask me anything in, in my name, inside my name, located in my name, contained within my name, I'm going to do that. So that's a pretty strong promise. And especially because so often in the church, our natural response is that God doesn't answer my prayers. I get once a week, I get an email from somebody inside or outside the congregation who says to me, God doesn't answer my prayers. Of course, what I want to respond is, yeah, you only go to church once a month, and you know, you're only thinking about yourself, and the Eucharist, you know, do you esteem that as the thing you orbit around in life, and the body and blood of Jesus for Lent, you know, hanging on the cross, here we go. I kind of want to say, all these things are right in front of you. All these things are right there for you to touch, touch good, touch good, don't touch evil, touch good, touch good. The Christian life is boils down to touch good. Good's all around you, and you won't touch. You know you should touch, you won't touch. You know you should ask, you don't ask. Ask, and you can have it all. Now we have to figure out what all is, okay? So the holy name, or the holy names, depending on how we're going to talk, it's one of the happiest things in Scripture. It solves so much, and it's such a great gift, and it is so neglected. But the holy name, the holy name of God, that God would give us his name is just this remarkable thing. It answers all kinds of questions. It gives us all kinds of access. And it gives this great protection against evil. So, in the name of Jesus, come out. Or in the name of Jesus, be gone. Or, I, I don't know if you remember the, this French priest who was stabbed at the altar a few years ago while he was celebrating Mass. His last words, as this guy was stabbing, was, Satan, be gone. There you go, right? Those are great last words. You know, in the name of Jesus, Satan be gone. Boom. So, um, with the names, we're just using the gifts that God give us. There's this, the, we're just using the gifts that God gives us. There is in, in, in the scriptures this word homo legeo. So, homo the same, logeo, like logos in the beginning was the logos. So, same words or same saying. Um, your prayers are basically meant to be homo legeo. You say back to God what God has said to you, and then you're sure that you have it right. When you say back to God what God has said to you, then you're sure that you have it right. And that's the only thing that ever holds up, is when you say what God has said. You can have ideas, you can have questions, you can imagine, you can have fun, you can write poetry, you can do whatever you like, but the only thing that ever holds is what God has given you to say. And the Christian life is to say what God says and do what God does. That's the Christian life. Jesus, follow me today. We're going to go down the mountain. Okay. I just turned the page. You see the holy name or the holy names everywhere in Scripture. Now, I printed out long bits. <clears throat> you can open your own Bible if you want and have a look at these. Uh, but I wanted to be able to mark it up and edit it a bit. It's hard to say, now skip ahead. So I, wanted, what, I did this so I could sort of edit it and then also highlight what I want. The most famous case, of course, is the burning bush in Exodus 3. And you should, of course, always remember that what happens in Exodus 3 happens again in John 8. When people say that Jesus never said that he was God, you sort of like, twisting the text a bit there. In Exodus 3, in the burning bush, the Lord says, I am who I am. 
I am. Tell them I am sent you. In John 8, when uh, people want to cancel out what Jesus is saying, and they say, who, who do you think you are? He says, I am, right? So G- and they know what he does. They know what he does because they take up stones to stone him. So the holy name of God in Exodus 3 is I am. When they say to Jesus, what's your name? He says, I am. And that's memorialized here in the windows around you at church on the sides. Those are the I am windows. I am the bread of life. I am the door. Take a look. This is where it's from. These things are all connected. But it all starts in Exodus 3. So Moses came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. It's interesting. It says angel of the Lord, then it says Lord. These are sort of synonymous. And the most fun is, is in ancient icons, you often have this ball of flame. And then you have Jesus actually sitting in the middle of the ball of flame. It's good fun, right? So you have Jesus already as the flame, and then Jesus coming later. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the fire, in the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and it wasn't consumed. And Moses says, that's pretty cool. I could film this for YouTube, make a million bucks. I'll turn aside and see this great sight. Why that bush is not burned. And of course, if we... We're brave enough. Um, there's a monastery on Sinai that we should go visit that claims to have the bush. We could go, it's a bit dangerous. Tourists get killed going about every two or three years. They, a bus of tourists gets um, shot up on their way there just to you know, remind everybody what's what. But, you know, the, the famous monastery on Sinai. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see. God called him. So God calls him in the fire, now calls him with the voice. God called, so God always makes the first move, Moses. And he said, Hineni, here I am. Then he said, don't come near. This is very important. This is why. So for this morning, the pastors will bow before they go to the altar. But old Dave Eisenhammer, is he here? Is he hanging around? He just walks up to the altar like he's running the show. He doesn't even bow at the rail. How come old Dave didn't bow at the rail? Anybody know? Because why? Because he had the book. And when he's the book, he's Jesus. You should say that to him. No, say it to his wife. (laughs) Yeah, that's the way to go. So uh, if you're acting as Jesus, so if you're the word, carrying the words, You just keep going. Everybody else is careful because holy ground. Occasionally through the years, we've had people who take off their shoes and come to the altar for the Holy Supper. Usually they've um, had instruction in somewhere not America. But it's a beautiful thing. People are always a little bit like, but, or occasionally kids will take off their shoes and come barefoot. I'm like, yeah, that's, well, there's a good piety there. Take off your shoes, which is to show some respect, which is to realize what you're dealing with. This is holy ground. You don't just muck around like nothing's going on. This is a holy place. Act like it's a holy place. So, you're standing on holy ground. And Moses said, I'm sorry, and the Lord said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look at God. Today in the gospel, and Peter hid his face, tumbling down the mountain, and he was afraid to look up when God appeared in the cloud that overwhelms them. Then the Lord said, 
You thought I wasn't watching you, but I was watching you. I've seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up into a land that is good and broad, a land flowing with milk and honey. Come, you're the guy. I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, and this is kind of fun because if you look down just two paragraphs to, so that's verse, uh, what is that, 11, if you look down to 14. But Moses said to God, who am I? And God said to Moses, I am who? Right? You see how this works? Isn't that fun? So Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Moses said to God, if the people of Israel come out and they say to me, who made you king? Right? What are you doing here? You're just another guy. We know you. You used to live here. Now you killed somebody and you don't live here anymore. So why should we take a risk on you? If they say, if I come to the people and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, now here it is, what is his name? What's his name? What shall I say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now that's a difficult little bit of Hebrew. It can be translated something like, I am who I am, or I do what I do, or I will be what I will be, or I will get it done. So this God, the Lord, is the one who does stuff. You might tuck that away for next time you need something. The specialist of the most special things that God does is stuff. When you're in trouble, God does stuff. Ultimately, the ultimate stuff thing that he does is send Jesus in the stuff of flesh and blood. I am who I am. I'll do what I'll do. Don't worry. I'll get it done. That's all sort of bundled up there. Say to the people, I am has sent me to you. Right? That may sound weird to you, but it's no different than somebody batting cleanup named Jesus. Right? These names come into the vernacular. God also said to Moses... Say to the people, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. Now look at this. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And you know that memory and faith are synonyms. So if you remember, you honor and you believe. That's what memory is. It's not just to have this fleeting memory. No, this is like you know the name you use the name, you pay attention to the name, you take your shoes off in front of the name, you realize with the name you're on holy ground. In fact, your Jewish friends will not even take this name on their lips. When This is the, and we should be very careful too, capital L-O-R-D is the divine name Yahweh. I am who I am. Your Jewish friends will not neither write, uh, say this, and if it's written, they're extraordinarily careful with where it's written. Um, this is a name that doesn't come across the tongue, right? So um, we're a little more bold to say it, but we're extraordinarily careful with it. Say, um, this is my name forever. This is how I get remembered through all generations. I, the Lord, promise. So 
I'm going to do what I say. It's just out in the future a little bit. I am who I am. I do what I do. I'll get it done. A promise means I'm going to get it done a little bit in the future. God doesn't live in time. You do live in time. So, right? You're, you're all okay. And then they will listen to your voice. Boom. So this is the remarkable thing, uh, is that God actually gives his name to somebody. Now, we've got to figure out why that's remarkable. But let me, before we do that, let me just observe that this is not a one-off thing. Turn the page. This name comes up again and again. It's the first and second commandment. So here's the thing. This is the burning bush. There's God, and God gives you his name. Now you go get the second commandment. There's God. Don't have any other gods, first commandment. And don't misuse my name, or in the positive, use my name like crazy for all kind of good things. Right? Or one of my favorites, the ironic benediction. Right? We do this every week, but I don't know if you really know what's happening to you. Look at this. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, they're the priests, right? We're a little farther into the story now. This is how you should bless somebody. So the thing is, you ever want to know how you should bless somebody? Right? Or I've often said, you know, one of the things I would like to do, I would like to someday, when I'm older, and have scads of money from you, I want to go, uh, I want to start a church in Chicago because there's a whole bunch of, like, lost sheep from St. John in Chicago. But I would, I, would, I would basically stand on a street corner vested and say to people, may I bless you? Or if I was really bold, may I pray for you? Not everybody will let you, if you try this, not everybody will let you pray for them. Even in church sometimes we say, can we pray for you? Like, then we say, can we bless you? Almost everybody will let you bless them. It's the most amazing thing. People just have this, they just sort of know, wherever they are, it could be better. And this is one of the ways it could get better, which you'd be blessed. Well, watch this. The Lord said to Moses, this is how, you, you tell Aaron and his son, so you tell the pastors, right? You tell them, this is how you bless people. You ready? You bless them by talking, but it's not just talking. But just watch. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So he gives you the exact formula. If you go to church and you don't get this exact formula, you should feel cheated. Because this is what pastors are supposed to do to God's people. They're supposed to do this to you. This is what's supposed to happen. Now, but this is, look. So you take my name. Betsy, can I use you? You take my name. Don't flinch. This is pretty full. Still hot, too. Okay, you take my name. It's a thing. And you actually put it. I wonder if I let go. You put it on somebody, and when you put it on them, they're blessed by it. So the name is actually a thing. So today, it'll be uh, Pastor Bukes, I think at late service. At the end, he's going to put his hand into the initials of Jesus. So these are the first two letters of Jesus' name, Cairo, Christos, or maybe he'll give you the first vowel too. If it's Wheel of Fortune, you buy a vowel, you might get the vowel, right? So those are the first two or three letters of Jesus' name, depending on how he does it to you. But he's going to take, you know, he's going to take that holy name and he's going to actually put it on you. The words actually bear the name and he blesses you. Not because he's a big deal or we're a big deal, but because this is how Jesus says to bless people. You take my name and you put it on somebody. When you put the name of God on somebody, it blesses them. You, you put it on. I don't know how. I, I, this is such a simple thing, right? 
When you say to somebody, God bless you, Christ bless you, God go with you, right? When you bless somebody in that way, it's the most beautiful. When you say, the Lord be with you today in the service, the Lord be with you, which is a blessing. The Lord be with you, go with you, the Lord all over you, the Lord be with you. That means I love you and I forgive you and there's nothing between us and this is great and thanks for coming to church and we're going to go to the Eucharist, to which you then say back and with your spirit, which is... Uh, you're our pastor, and sometimes you're a dork, but we still love you, and we forgive everything, and it's all going to be okay because we're going to come to the Eucharist, and it's all going to work out because the Lord is doing it. It's not you, and it's not me. That's all happening when you say, the Lord be with you. Like when, when you say, Christ bless you. When you say to somebody, Christ bless you, she's different than she was 10 seconds ago. I mean, this is, this is what happens. Um, and I'm gonna, just going to skip one and say, probably the last thing I can do. This solves all your questions about infant baptism. The large questions that float around Wheaton about infant baptism are utterly misguided, right? So here's two things, and this will solve everything. This will solve all your questions, or at least make secondary all your questions about infant baptism or any baptism. What happens with a baptism? You take God's name and you put it on a person. And when you put it on the person, God goes to work. It's that simple. God baptizes people, and God baptizes and blesses people with his name. The text is right there. You all know this. Go and make disciples from all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which means you take the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you have three names, or the divine name, the name of the Holy Trinity, and you take that name and you put it on a child, baptizing always with water, So you take some water and you put it on the person. And that person, when you do that, God moves in. God does the baptism. God does the blessing. So all you need for a baptism is somebody who's a damn sinner, somebody who's broken down, somebody who needs to be resurrected, somebody in need. Babies, right out of the womb, qualify. Ding, 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 top of the list. And the church has always baptized babies, always, always, right? I mean, the history is very clear. So if you ask who needs it, sinners need it, and who does it, God does it. And how does God do it? God puts his name on them. Now, we can't do this, although we're going to come back and do this next week. It's exactly the same as what happens. And I gave you the text, and if you want to read this for next week to prep, about three more pages in, I've given you the text from 1 Kings 8 and 9. And you can have a read through that this week if you want. You can come back next week and we'll do it. But basically, what God did to that empty box on Mount Zion in Jerusalem is exactly what he does to you. He fills it up and he goes to work. So in the temple, the temple wasn't a temple before God got there. It was just a box on Mount Zion. God puts his name there, which means he moves in and he gets to work in exactly the same way. You're an empty box. You've got nothing You are dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2. And what happens? God puts his name on you and he goes to work, which is why then when we baptize, the last prayer says, hey, as this child has now become your child, which means you moved in and you're at work and you're responsible, which is a great consolation if you're a parent because there are things that are beyond you as a parent, but there are not things that are beyond God. And this all has to do with the holy name. It's not magic, right? It's not irresistible. It's not casting a spell. 
It's taking a gift and using it as it's been given to you, right? It's a wrench, right? It's not a hammer. You don't pound with it. You use it exactly the way it was been given to you, described for you to use. That's what you do. And this is why it comes up again and again. It comes up um, at the burning bush. It comes up in the second commandment. I'm your God. Don't misuse my name. It comes up in the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Because that's how you know this God that will incinerate you if you see him face to face. It's a way that God protects you and gives you something. It comes up in the baptism mandate. It even comes up in the sign of the cross, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You actually put the name on your own flesh, right? And so, as St. John Chrysostom says, the devil, once you have the name put on you, on your forehead, the devil can never tempt you directly. He said it's like lightning going out from your forehead. And when the devil comes to tempt you, he has to look away. He can't bear it. It's too bright. And so he always hits you a glancing blow. This is why the devil cannot destroy you. He can't ever get a good grip on you. And in the very last chapter of Scripture, last thing, Revelation 22.4, they're looking around going, this is fabulous. This is like being on the Mount of Transfiguration. Where do we get all these people? And Revelation 22.4 says, these are those who have the name on their forehead. So it's like branding cattle. You know, people are sorted at the gate to heaven by whether or not they bear the brand, the name that was put on them at their baptism. All this stuff hangs together, and it all comes from the name. It's remarkable stuff, and we hardly ever talk about this. And so then we have all kinds of other crazy questions about what's going on. This is what's going on. We take the name of people. I'm sorry. We take the name of God, and we put it on people, and when we put it on people, they are different. Something happens. God goes to work. God moves in. God takes control. God stimulates them. God moves them. God never forgets them. God remembers them. God forgives them. This is the normal course of events from the very beginning of Scripture until the very end, right? I've given you Exodus all the way to Revelation. So have a look at the rest of this. We'll go through it, and then you'll begin to see that when Jesus says, if you pray in my name, there's this whole, it's not just this isolated little thing. This is the whole shot altogether. You get everything in the name. If you have the name, you have everything. You have everything you need to know or that can be given by God, okay? Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, see you Wednesday. See you next week. Uh, Send me a couple names if you want to do some, and we'll pick up from here and then do a little specific stuff. Thanks.